0: Hello and welcome to Cancer Kicking Pow Wow where we explore the amazing and varied experiences of breast cancer thrivers and previvors and we deep dive into the world of healthcare professionals who know that treatment goes far beyond pills and procedures. We're so glad you're joining us today. Before we meet our guest, I want to just give you two reminders. Hit subscribe on the button below and number two. Check out the Cancer Kicking Summit that's coming up. We would love to see you there or have you join us via on-demand video. All right, so let's move straight to it. Our guest today is Eliza Ladenson.
1: Did I even say that right? It's Ladenson, but that's close enough. How could I not
0: know that after (laughs) all we've been through? (laughs) Because you're just Eliza to me. (laughs) That works for me. Thank you for being with us today. Of course. So you have a really unique journey and you've made some very bold choices with your uh, breast health and I really am proud of you for joining me today because you're going to do a huge service for women out there struggling with the very issues that you may or may not have struggled with. We'll talk all about it but before we do i love to back up and just have our viewers understand who you are, where you came from, like siblings, parents, what motivates you when you were a kid, like what were you into, what did you think you would become when you grew up, that kind of a background.
1: Okay, Uh, well I was born in Texas and then uh, we moved to Asia when I was really young. So I grew up in Seoul, Korea and in Hong Kong. Um, And then we moved back to the States when I started kindergarten. What languages do you speak now? Um, only English. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like when we lived in Asia. I knew kind of how to sing songs, you know, in Korean and that kind of stuff. But uh, I pretty much had all of my schooling in Texas. Okay. So, um, so yeah, I grew up. Do you don't say y'all? <laughs> no, I went to school on the East Coast, and so that kind of evaporated <laughs> okay. once I got there. Right. Um, and so, very close family. Grew up down the street from my grandparents, um, and my I had a brother who passed away when we were kids, oh. so um, from like a heart issue that he had. So I kind of experienced being an older sister and being an only child. Right. So that's kind of unique to my experience. Then I went um, to school in Philadelphia for college and moved out to LA after, and I've been here ever since. Okay, and. I, we were talking before
0: we hit play that um, you have an online store, an yes. e-commerce site called Sloan and Tate, yes. but you're winding it down. So yes. talk about your entrepreneurial chutzpah and what yeah. that took but and how you've redirected your passions.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've always known that I wanted to uh, be an entrepreneur from the very beginning. Um, I was interested in inventions when I was younger and just always kind of thinking about um, questioning the status quo, like why are things done the way they are and wanting to do things different. So um, that was really an inspiration for me to start my business. um, Because I wanted to, I was out shopping for underwear and I felt like I wasn't finding anything that I wanted. Um, So I was like, I'm going to create my own. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I started it. And I did study business in college. but nothing can really prepare you for the real world entrepreneurial journey um, and i just love being my own boss right well, <laughs> my husband is a venture capitalist by trade
0: and now we have our own e-commerce site at pink lotus uh, elements it's called where we sell and oh we've got over 150 skus of oh my gosh, products yeah. yeah that are all geared toward helping women through, like, maximize their breast health before, during, or after a breast cancer diagnosis. So a lot of the products aren't cancer-driven, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever possible, we've got randomized controlled trials and some of the supplement products. Oh, but wow. as a general rule, we we basically are taking care of problems, whether it's hot flashes or insomnia or... the um, one of our biggest sellers is called Cosmo Companion, which is for anybody who drinks alcohol to kind of help negate some of the cancer-causing effects that oh. alcohol can lead to. So, anyway, I, via my husband's mm-hmm. journey in elements and feeling some of your yes. struggles and pain, because it's definitely, it's definitely a whole field that's bursting, right? I mean, you
1: think about how far we've come just in the last. 15 years, it's night and day. Yes, and still just ever-changing. It feels like we're on the frontier. Um, And it's just brought so much, I think, convenience to the way we shop, being Mm -hmm. able to shop online, but it has raised interesting challenges as well.
0: Right, right. And it's changed the the landscape of the world, the whole brick and mortar stores, you know, they're Mm -hmm. disappearing little by little. And it's just, different way of growing up. I'm seeing it in my kids, you know. Definitely. They're like, oh, we'll just check Amazon. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It definitely was not what we said when (laughs) I grew up. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. Tell me about breasts. Tell me about what they mean to you, what your experience growing up was with exposure
1: to relatives, cancer. Um, So my maternal grandmother and my mom both got breast cancer at around 50, um, both survived and um, but I it was very top of mind for me that there could be a risk. And it really I, it was something I thought about every day mm-hmm. that I was nervous about. Um, and I knew that I was still um, young enough and far out enough, but it was uh, definitely something that I was aware of from an early age. Um, and so that kind of was something that I was referred to you at an early um, date. And we were just very vigilant. But um, it was a very involved type of thing where I was going for, I was difficult to kind of um, examine under test, And so I was going for MRIs once a year. Mm -hmm. I was seeing you. I was seeing my other doctor. And so it was just a very kind of present part of my life, even though I was perfectly healthy. Right.
0: And for a lot of women, that surveillance plan brings total peace of mind and they're fine just soldiering on. Yeah. But for others, there's some anxiety associated with it because they
1: think, well, I'm just waiting to have cancer. So I can be like, see, now I can do surgery. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, I mean, that is kind of how I felt and um, the messages that I got back from the outside world as well. You know, you're just vigilant and you can catch it early. And to me, that just didn't that did not sit well with me. That didn't feel like um, a way that I wanted to live my life.
0: Right. Some women just feel like being more proactive and maximally reducing their risk with prophylactic mastectomy, which is an equally strong choice to continuing on with surveillance. So everybody Mm -hmm. is unique in how they approach it because their past experiences with relatives with cancer mm-hmm. and then their own relationship to their breasts. Do they want to breastfeed? How much of a uh, sexual pleasure are they deriving from their breasts? Because then, for the vast majority, you're numb after mm-hmm. mastectomy. So there's a lot of individual considerations and phases of life that intermingle inside an individual to make yes. different choices. And along those exact same lines then becomes the choice of how to reconstruct. Mm -hmm. or whether to reconstruct at all. And from my point of view, each woman's breast shape and size and their desired outcome then affects like where I suggest we put incisions that become permanent scars, Mm -hmm. whether or not to keep the nipple, right? So there's a lot that goes into the choices to create the aesthetic outcome that you want. You and an ever-growing handful, it's like more than probably about 25 of all of my mastectomies, of which there are a couple of thousand, mm-hmm. um, have made the choice that you made. Talk to everybody about what you decided to do when it came time to pull the trigger on the mastectomies.
1: Okay. Well, even just to back up a bit, I was nervous to even ask you about the prophylactic mastectomy procedure because... It felt not anything, not because of you, but because of society. It felt like, mm. oh, well, you're perfectly healthy, you don't have cancer. Like, how could you, um, you know, elect to have a surgery that would modify your body in such a, a big way? So, first, it took a lot of courage just to, um, when I came in for my appointment, to say, I'm interested in this surgery, because I felt like it would improve my quality of life. Because mm-hmm. you had told me, if you have the surgery, it's like, I was, would go down from about, I think, 30% chance right. to like 1% or less than 1%. Mm-hmm. And to me that, so I didn't have the gene either, um, but to me that was a no-brainer. I mean, that level of drop-off in percentage was, felt so good to me. So once I asked then, it was about a year later, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. So we had kind of a long time of planning. And so you suggested that I go meet with some plastic surgeons, kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And I knew pretty quickly that I didn't want reconstruction or implants because, to me, the idea of having this surgery was to get me in the a place as I could be. So then, the idea of putting something foreign in my body that I would then have to have
0: monitored, mo-
1: yeah, monitored and surgery, more surgeries potentially, just didn't feel right. Um, So I went to a handful of plastic surgeons, great plastic surgeons, around Los Angeles. And every time I said, I don't want implants, they would put an implant in my hand and say, yes, but we have very small ones, you know, you can do that. And so it was quite a challenge just even being taken seriously that I didn't want reconstruction. Um, My grandmother I knew had had a double mastectomy and... Didn't have reconstruction, so I don't know if that Mm. kind of trickled down. But and she was one of the most elegant women I ever knew. Oh, that's so. um, So I think there was something about like accepting oneself as one is that just felt right to me, and that I just had no doubts that that was what was right for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, eventually, that is that's where I started, and that is where I landed. So I've
0: had. lot of experience with people who choose to go flat. And because of the native anatomy of many breasts, it doesn't look right Mm -hmm. to keep the nipple sometimes. Like You Mm -hmm. can't get it in the location on the chest wall that's going to make it look like it should be right there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we had discussed with you that it was going to look pretty awesome yeah. if we uh, just made an incision that was away from the, like down lower mm-hmm. and kind of like a curtain coming up, just pick up the skin all as one piece and then just a little bit of missing skin on the bottom because obviously when the breast is gone and the skin comes down, it'll be wrinkly. Like you just threw a blanket on a bed, right? You want mm-hmm. it to be flat. So some skin had to go, um, but it's just like a minimal single scar at the bottom. right And now you're flat. Mm-hmm and fabulous exactly and how was the emotional physical adjustment to the new chest wall
1: um fantastic i was oh. definitely nervous at first right after the surgery because i am a little bit queasy about just <laughs> anything related <laughs> blood to drains blood, oh, blood or <laughs> yeah exactly um so i actually made the decision that i wasn't going to look at my chest until the um, pain and discomfort had subsided. Mm-hmm. So I just knew that it would get in my head. And so I just wanted to be completely comfortable when I, so I came in for my checkup and I remember you and the nurse and everyone was like, oh my gosh, you look amazing. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, thank you. I'll take your word for it. Cause I wasn't ready <laughs> right. to look yet. Right. Um, but uh, I would say um, I couldn't be happier. I've had, zero regrets. Um, And just from, I think it was 100% the right decision. And I think a big key was having a supportive partner who, you know, as soon as uh, I was ready to go was just like, oh my gosh, you look amazing. You look so hot. Like that just really helped me then be accepting of my new body Mm -hmm. Um, and so and I thought I was going to have these kind of tough looking scars and now they've faded and it's like you can barely see them. Oh I'm so so happy. Oh and one more thing was the um, the first time I got to work out after, oh, uh-huh. going to swim class and not having to wear a bra was like the best feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and also running downstairs in my house, I was like, I'm free. Yeah. Like it just felt so good. So it was very liberating in many ways too. That's terrific. So
0: I'm always surprised when it comes up how controversial your choice can be. I was on the Today Show a year ago, and this was the whole topic of the segment, and there were some women who had had mastectomies whose surgeons deliberately left a bunch of extra skin and when they woke up they were like what it happened here like we had an entire conversation and like you know a pinky swear agreement that i was going to be completely flat and yet there's all this you know extra my oh, skin and the surgeons were always very patronizing and like well honey you just don't you're gonna want reconstruction so i wanted to leave the skin for you ta-da like Oh my gosh. Hor- horrible. I mean, it's just so disrespectful to a woman's decision to not comply with her clearly stated wishes, but then to like override them because you know better. Like mm-hmm. it's just unfathomable to me. And uh, sure, in the throes of a cancer diagnosis, women's heads often are spinning like crazy and they don't know, keep the breast, take the breast, one breast, both breasts, chemo, and yes, no. Like There are a lot of decisions, mm-hmm. but please. Uh, some point the storm Mm -hmm. settles and clarity appears and if this woman has said she wants to be flat let her be flat Mm -hmm. so that was shocking to me and then the other thing that i've known for many years but there's there's a lot of disagreement amongst women just based on their choices but they're like vehement in their own choice as it being right like mm-hmm. for all so that mm-hmm. there's like a flat and fabulous group and a reconstructed group that like fight on facebook or something like, that. like it's sad to me because we're all on like team life you know mm-hmm. and these choices don't shouldn't have it shouldn't be like you know red sox the yankees like i don't <laughs>
1: <laughs> a rivalry <Yeah. laughs>
0: um did you experience anything like that Obviously, your surgeon listened to you. But um, <laughs> anything in terms of people just reacting negatively to your decision, you explain that the plastic surgeons, well, they have like an inherent interest in mm-hmm. getting you reconstructed. It's what they do. Right. But amongst friends and family that were pressuring you, as if they know better than you mm-hmm. that you want reconstruction, honey.
1: Right. I luckily I didn't have any pressure, but I did. Uh, feel a sense of that they were concerned, uh, actually more about the prophylactic nature of the surgery. Uh Um, However, I did um, after meeting with the surgeons and um, seeing just how more, I guess, rare it is to not do reconstruction, that I sense that there was this maybe pressure to reconstruct um, and this desire by society to preserve a woman's form and so um, that I definitely felt like I was on the edge or doing you know doing something radical in that sense mm-hmm. um, so yes there definitely did feel like there was pressure to do reconstruction but um, I just knew that that you know, not doing reconstruction was right for me. And so, because there was no question in my mind, that helped me stay strong. Um, and, but it was very surprising to me that other people would be so concerned with what I was doing with my body. Right, and specifically with something that they will never see.
0: Probably, Exactly. Right? Like, it's yeah. not like you were doing a tattoo on your
1: cheek. Or, you know, <laughs> right, well, and that was actually the interesting thing because I felt that there, because there was my perceived sense of judgment, maybe from the outside world for not doing reconstruction. However, being on the other side, you know, I was prepared for maybe to be like looked at differently, but literally people treat me or look at me the exact same way they did <laughs> um, you know, before and after. Right. So it ha- really should. hasn't so changed great. at, yeah, exactly. So we at Pink
0: Lotus offer a number of um, ways in which people can connect over this issue. There is Power Up with its blog section, and we've got a great blog on the choice to be flat. We also have an online social community where people can go into chat rooms and just start a thread about the choice to not reconstruct, and Breast Buddies where people can go newly diagnosed or newly dealing with the prophylactic mastectomy issue and put in like an age, uh, pre-viver because there's no cancer and then mastectomy, no reconstruction and you'd populate like match.com, all the women who have been there, done that, who are around your age, who are there because they wanna talk to you. So we've got over 10,000 members. It's already like just a really strong, beautiful sort of sacred sisterhood of women who have navigated these difficult breast issues. So there is, a family for you if you're watching and want to explore this idea of no reconstruction. Um, now that it's been two and a half years actually mm-hmm. since all this went down and you're obviously like total peace of mind with the decision, has, has the emancipation from the stress of surveillance and the threat of breast cancer led to a change in direction in any way? like like? Emotionally, do you feel a freedom directionally with your business? Like, is there something that changed as a direct result of having crossed over the mastectomy moment?
1: Definitely, I would say it really comes down to the small moments, which is every single day, um, I'm so grateful that I did it. Um, And now the worry of breast cancer is out of my mind. Um, I see you once once a year, which is, for my peace of mind, mostly. (laughs) Um, And I don't have to go for this MRI. I don't, um, you know, have to think about it every day. And I think it was just that fear. So I'm, you know, I feel like I've cleared that fear um, of breast cancer out of my life. And I mean, the quality of life and the peace of mind that that brings, I think is priceless. Great. And I was excited to know that your sensation all came back yes, full, full recovery. And so I had managed my expectations for that, not knowing um, what the healing process would be. And um, yeah, I'm happy to report that, um, yeah, full sensation. um, So nothing's changed for that. Yeah, that's so great. I think maybe the reconstruction sometimes stops
0: the nerves from regenerating as quickly, because most people Mm -hmm. after mastectomy with reconstruction are going to be numb, like solid Mm -hmm. 95%. It's interesting in my flat group, how many are getting skin sensation. I think maybe direct, directly innervation from the muscle to the skin regrows. Um, nerves regenerate a millimeter a month. So if you do the math on peripheral skin nerves that get cut that need to make it all the way to a nipple and mm-hmm. over a reconstruction, like there's this much skin, maybe you're talking that's a five year journey for that nerve to regrow. But mm-hmm. it's shorter if it's just going straight up to
1: the skin. Yeah. So here you are. Yeah. Um, what's next for you? Oh, um, what's next for me? Let's see. Um, I'm just embarking on potentially, um, new career. I just got married, um, and just feeling like, um, their life is just full of opportunities and excitement and, um, I'm going to go to Amsterdam and Sweden for the first time this oh, year. Oh, fun! Um, I love
0: Amsterdam.
1: Yeah, so incorporating more travel into my life um, is is a goal, and also I'm on the path to veganism. I would say right now I call myself casually vegan, um, really or aspiring. Um, but that's something that you've really opened my eyes to as well. I think growing up in Texas, it's a very meat, meat heavy, yes. And so, um, being in LA, there's just really, you know, it makes it really easy to be vegan. And I think, uh, the more I read, the more I know, it just seems like it's better for the planet. It's better for our bodies. It's better for animals. So there's really no reason not to. At least, yeah, except
0: everybody watching who eats meat will be like, except for the fact that meat is completely delicious and I have cheese every day, Um,
1: but yeah. I don't really miss, that's something, I I think that I consumed enough meat
0: in my childhood (laughs) for a lifetime,
1: so, and I feel better. I just feel so much better when I um, eat vegan. I feel um, just a lightness and just, just so much better in every way. Well, of
0: course that is music to my ears. (laughs) And I love, something very important to me that I always advise is learning. This idea of like grow or die throughout life. And you are always opening up new frontiers of learning Mm -hmm. and you were sharing that you're getting into fashion photography.
1: Yes, I am. I've really, running my own business, uh, and as an independent entrepreneur, it's really cool because I've gotten to do every part of my business, and I've gotten to um, know all the aspects of it, and so now, um, after having done it for a while, I've really gotten to hone my skills in different areas, and really, I would say that is another kind of um, what's next is I've been doing soul-searching, and Figuring out, okay, what do I love? What are my passions? What am I good at? And what do I derive the most happiness from? And so taking those aspects of my business um, from being in fashion and uh, parlaying that into a more specific area of expertise. So, yeah, that's terrific. And it's
0: unfortunate that so many people go through life kind of living by like automatically, like mm-hmm. they just they kind of wake up and they think the same things they thought yesterday, they have the same conversations with the same people doing the same thing and there's no, Growth. There's no forward momentum or progress, and I every I always look forward to seeing you because I always know there's going to be something new, and <laughs> one of these days it's going to be a baby.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know. We'll see. Time will tell. But yes, I think that I question everything, uh, pretty much every moment of the day. So, um, so yes, I'm constantly uh, reviewing right. and, um, just really thinking about those, uh, those questions and there's no time like now. So terrific. Thank you so much for
0: spending this time with us and Thank you for sharing me. your story. We always end cancer kicking powwow with a one, two punch by Great. saying, take that cancer. So okay. ready? One, two, three, take that cancer.